Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go on your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. 
They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would, even through this story of the spies and Rahab, that you would reveal to us more of your character, that we would know of your mercy and grace, that we would know of your forgiveness that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Joshua chapter 2 is the story of an unlikely hero. It is the story of God's grace. And as we go through this passage, I would like us to consider three questions about this unlikely hero, Rahab. First, who was Rahab? Secondly, what did Rahab do? And then third, and most importantly, what does this tell us about God? Rahab, and what she has done, and what it tells us about God. Let's begin by trying to determine who is this woman Rahab. The very first thing that I think we can determine about Rahab is that she is important. Now I say that because there's an entire chapter devoted to her story. But if you look at the book of Joshua, it's actually unnecessary. We don't need chapter 2 to understand Israel's conquest of the land. If you put your hand, as it were, over chapter 2, you could very easily go from the end of chapter 1 to the beginning of chapter 3. As a matter of fact, the buildup of the story almost takes you there. As the Lord has come to Joshua, as he's told him to be strong and courageous and told him to cross over into the land, the next thing that we would expect is to hear that Joshua is crossing over into the land. And yet this story interrupts here. Now from the perspective of this book, but not from biblical history, Rahab could have been skipped over. There's no military value to this story. There are certain things that are missing that we might expect in this kind of story. If this were a film, we might expect for the spies to go in and to use Rahab to raise up a fifth column of insiders inside the city that would spring up at just the right moment and help Israel obtain the victory. We might expect, again, if this was a film, for Rahab to occur over and over again throughout the story of Joshua, for her to keep popping up in various places. But she doesn't. As a matter of fact, the only other place that she is mentioned in the book is one very brief section of two verses in chapter 6, in which we are told that she is rescued 
according to what we know in chapter 2. So the question then that comes to us is, why include this? Why does the author deliberately turn to this story of Rahab? She's not someone that in her own rights, in herself, the Israelites would admire. No, Rahab is important because of what her life tells us about God. Rahab is important as an example to us of how to relate to God. And we see this first because Rahab is a very unlikely hero or participant in our story. The first thing that we notice is that she was a Gentile. And by that, I want you to understand that she would not have had access to the Word of God. She wouldn't have grown up with Bible stories. She wouldn't have gone to ancient VBS. She wouldn't have been prayed with at night before bed. She would not have known the Word of God and the truth and promises of God from her earliest days. As a matter of fact, she was what we would call a pagan. Now, that word sounds harsh, doesn't it? But it describes who she is. She was one with her family who worshipped false gods in the city of Jericho. She was separated from the people of God. And we have a testimony to this, witness the fact that the people of God were about to attack and destroy her and her city. Rahab was not a seeker who was looking out for God, who was just waiting for the perfect opportunity to attend an Israelite worship service. No. She was a Gentile. But if I can put it this way, she was worse than that. Because she was also an Amorite, which is a specific tribe of the Canaanites who were described as the worst of the worst. The Amorites were the most wicked of all the Canaanites. They were a proverb. When God spoke in promise to Abraham, he told Abraham that he would have to wait, that they would come back, his family would come back in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full, God would say. They were worse than the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Hittites, and all the other ites that were living in the land at this time. They were the prototypical, wicked Canaanites. To give you just a picture, it seems to us that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were Amorite cities. That'll give you an idea how bad the Amorites were. They were known for child sacrifice, for depravity in their worship of false gods. Rahab was not only a Gentile, she was an Amorite. But again, if I can put it this way, it gets worse. Because personally, she was wicked. She was a prostitute. Now, we need to resist the temptation to whitewash Rahab's history. There are some who will say that she had gotten morals, 
that she had cleaned her act up before the spies came. There's even one commentator that says that the fact that she had flax on her roof meant that she had moved into a more moral occupation that used flax. We have no such evidence of this. Actually, the evidence of the story points to the fact that she was still known as a prostitute. What this means is she was an immoral woman in an immoral place. She was a wicked person among wicked people. Now this would seem to be true because have you ever asked yourselves, why would the Israelite spies go to her house? Now I don't think it was that God set some kind of shining burning flame over her roof that says, go here. I think the spies went to a place where they thought they would be least noticed where men went in and out all the time. And they wanted to go to a place where there would be men who would be drinking, who would be loose with their tongues, who would talk about all of the gossip of what was going on so that they could gain military advantage. Also, do you wonder why, when the king gets a report that the men have come to her, and she says, oh, they came and left quickly, he just believes her? He doesn't search her house first? You see, the king certainly thought that men went in and out of this house very quickly. He believed her at her word. What we have to understand when we ask ourselves the question, who is Rahab, is that we do God no favors when we seek to clean her up before she can come to God. But the second question that then comes to us is, what did Rahab do? And what Rahab did was she heard by faith and she acted by faith. First, let's look at how she heard by faith. Now, do you understand that this story in chapter 2 is not really a story primarily about events? It doesn't flow like a suspenseful story, does it? The very center of this chapter is this long confession of faith by Rahab. It's actually interesting what happens in the story. At verse 7, we are left in suspense as to what will happen to the spies. We're told that the king is searching for them. And we hear that they are hidden. And then we hear this ominous note that the gates have been shut. And immediately we wonder... How will they get out? What will they do? Where will they go? And the author makes us wait. And wait. And wait. As a matter of fact, it's not until verse 15 that we actually hear what happens, that they are let down from the window. You see, the center of this story is what Rahab has heard and what she believes. She tells us, First and foremost, what she knows. Look at verse 9. I know that the Lord has given you the land. Think about how powerful that statement is. The walls of Jericho have not fallen down. And you remember from the story of the conquest of Jericho that these are sturdy walls. These are walls that are only brought down by the power of God himself. This is a mighty city with a king in the city. They are certainly on high alert. 
They get one rumor of Israelites being in town and they rush men all over the countryside to find them out. This is not an unprepared people who are asleep at the watch. And she very matter-of-factly says, I know the Lord has given you the land. Why does she know this? Well, it's based on what she has heard in verses 10 through 12. Now, this is another marvelous turn of God's providence. Because it is very likely that all of the things that she heard that brought her to faith, she heard precisely because of her occupation. You can imagine a mercenary who had spent time in Egypt, who's in Rahab's house, and he says, did you hear about what happened with these plagues in Egypt? And another man says, I know, And did you hear how the sea parted before these Israelites and swallowed up the Pharaoh? And then a third man would say, that's nothing. Did you see how they completely destroyed these two kings on the other side of the Jordan? You see, she's hearing all of God's mighty deeds because providentially she is who she is. Now I want you, for a moment at least, to suspend your inquiry on one thing. In verse 4, we are faced with the indication that Rahab out and out lies to the king of Jericho. Now, I don't want to say whether what she does is right or is wrong. Because quite frankly, if you'll notice, the author is not concerned at all with it. He just reports it and moves right on. It's not the focus of his concern. There is no ethical question here to be solved. The focus of the author's concern is the faith of Rahab. Because she has heard of God's power. Look at verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. Now this reminds us that faith is not based on feelings. This is important for us because often we judge the strength of our faith or our own belief based on how we feel. But the truth is, our feelings change, don't they? We feel better or less good about God depending on our circumstances, especially as we go through trials. We can question God himself. We can even be angry at God. Our feelings fluctuate based on our circumstances. But you see, our faith is based on a knowledge of the mighty deeds of God in history. Of the facts that are before us. Of the fact that Jesus came to earth and became man. Of the fact that he lived a perfect life. Of the fact that he died an atoning death. And of the fact that he is risen again. That is what our faith is based on. The second thing that Rahab heard was she heard of God's sovereignty. Look at verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This tells us that Rahab was affected by what she heard. These were not random facts that were simply before her. These were not interesting tidbits. No, 
These facts about God that she had heard told her about the true nature of God. The true nature of God's sovereignty. She knew that there was no hope opposing God, for He is the one who is in control. And she expresses this in how she describes God, that He is the God of the heavens and of the earth. There is no other God beside Him. This is her faith in God's sovereignty. But then there's a third step in what she hears and believes. In verse 12, she believes in God's mercy. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house. You see, this knowledge of who God is leads Rahab to throw herself upon the mercy of God. True biblical faith causes us to act. True faith does not stop in knowing about God. True faith presses us to take refuge in God. And that's what Rahab does. But Rahab also then begins to act by faith. It was not just that she believed and knew. She also acted because true biblical faith causes us to act. She could not be neutral. She had to choose one side or the other. And so she put her life on the line. As you can imagine, Jericho was not an easy place to live in. It was a place of wickedness. It was a place threatened by attack. And if anyone had found out that she had helped the Israelite spies, she would be tortured and killed and her family along with her. But her faith in the living God caused her to act, even at the risk that was before her. This is what faith does. You see, this is the same kind of faith that causes us to act when at times we're afraid that others will ostracize us or make fun of us. Or that we might get passed over for a job promotion. Or that we might have difficulties with our financial situation. We act by faith, trusting the Lord to carry us through. She also left her past and her people behind. You see, there would be no peace after Israel attacked. There would be no coexistence. The stories that she had heard and the nature of Jericho itself would let Rahab know that it was going to be all or nothing. There was no playing this halfway. And so she left her people for God, for the God of Israel. She also identified with God's people. Now, it is not that she was a Jew. It was not even that she wanted to be a Jew. But she had identified with the God of Israel. And so that meant she knew her place was with the people of Israel. And God accepted her. As his people did as well. Now, we might have expected Rahab to become a second class citizen. She'd come over from the enemy. She was a pagan. She wasn't born to a good Jewish family. We might have expected them to tolerate her and push her off to the side. But that's not what happened. We actually hear and know later in Israel's history that she married a Jew, a man of the tribe of Judah named Salmon. 
God accepted her and brought her fully into the people of God. That brings us to our third question. What does this tell us about God? The first thing that it tells us, this story, is that our God is faithful. You see, the promise of the land is central to this chapter. If you let your eye go over this chapter, you will see over and over again the phrase, the land, the land has been given, the land, occur over and over again. That's actually the impetus for this whole story. Look at verse 1. Joshua says, go and view the land, especially Jericho. But what happens as a result of the spy's journey? There's no secret plot that's hatched. There's no fifth column in the city. There really isn't any success at all, is there? The only thing that they report back is that the people are afraid because of what they have heard about God. They don't bring any military insight to Joshua. The success is simply in that, what they found out, that the Lord has given us this land and the people fear Him. We see this in verse 24. Now the irony is, this is exactly what God has already told them in chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 6. You see, the thing is, it's not that God's promises aren't sure. But often... We need to feel sure of the promises, don't we? We can often doubt God's promises because of our lack of faith. And so God condescends to us to give us assurance about His promises that He has already given to us. God is faithful. The second thing that we see is that God is gracious. The story of Rahab highlights the nature of God, that he is a gracious and loving God. Here we have the conversion of a Gentile prostitute. This should remind us that none of us is too far from God's grace. It should remind us that the church is a place for sinners. It should remind us that we serve a great God who uses sinful people that he has redeemed. You see, Rahab is not only accepted into the people of Israel, we learn later that she is in the line of Jesus Christ himself. This chapter is the backstory to one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. It's the book of Ruth. You remember the book of Ruth, how Ruth the Moabitess and her mother-in-law Naomi travel and come to Israel because they have nothing, their husbands have died, and they don't know how they will live and how they will survive. And it just so happens that Ruth happens to be in a field, and it just so happens that the owner of the field comes by, and it just so happens that the owner of the field looks kindly upon her and is gracious to her, and it just so happens that the owner of that field redeems her, and it just so happens that he sets his love upon her and marries her, and eventually they have a son who has a son who has a son whose name is David. And if you've ever wondered to yourself, 
What did Boaz see in Ruth? She was a pagan woman. Weren't there any nice Jewish girls he could marry? Why was he gracious to this ragtag Gentile woman who's wandering through his field? The answer is he learned it from his mother, Rahab. He learned it from his mother who saw the grace of God and who was transformed by the power of God. Don't ever believe that the power of God cannot transform your life. It takes people from wickedness to holiness, from despair to hope. And we see this in the story of Rahab. I hope that you, like I am, are glad that our author took just a moment, a break in the story of the military conquest of the Promised Land to tell us this wonderful story of the grace of God in Rahab. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you in your infinite wisdom saw fit to set your love and your grace upon Rahab. We're thankful, Lord, that you have even drawn someone like Rahab into the line of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it reminds us that none of us is too great a sinner. None of us is too far gone from the people of God, but that you can reach out and make us your children. Lord, may this give us great confidence as we live this week, that if we trust by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are your children, that you will not abandon us nor forsake us. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.